On Sunday mornings, we continue to talk about grace. Uh, this month, we are, and this whole year, really, we have been working to live out grace. Uh, the November challenge, the grace challenge, has been to help with the harvest. And what we mean by that is uh, thinking of harvest sort of on three different levels. The spiritual harvest, which Steve talked about last Sunday as he shared the good things going on with Know Your Bible. Uh, we hope that you have uh, contributed and or are thinking about putting in your pledge forms. Uh, if you haven't done that, remember to do that. As you, hopefully you caught yesterday, uh, Steve saying last Sunday, not yesterday, uh, as Steve said last Sunday, we're putting out as much seed as we can afford. And so if you haven't ever been a part of the Know Your Bible ministry and the spiritual element of that, uh, please consider doing that. Know Your Bible is a great ministry and it's very effective as we uh, see and hear and read of countless stories. You can also be a part of the physical harvest, and we're doing that with uh, Carpenter Place, and we've got more donations that have come up. And if you saw this pile again, thought, ah, I forgot it again. Uh, we put out some reminders. The list for Carpenter Place is on the website. All of these supplies will go into the pantry there at Carpenter Place to help uh, the families there. And so it really is put into good use and it makes a uh, takes a burden off of them. Northside's always been a big contributor to that. And so we appreciate anything that you can bring. Uh, next Sunday will be the last opportunity to do that. So we hope that you'll plan to uh, bring a little extra if you haven't already done so. And then the third way you can be involved is in the community harvest. Uh, we already have partaken of the Coats for Kids project, which went uh, overwhelmingly well. You responded in a, just a fabulous way, bringing coats. I think there were something like 80 coats and a uh, number of gloves and, and boots and all sorts of things like that. As the weather got colder, just as it was getting colder, uh, you all stepped in in a big way to help the k- kids at at Pleasant Valley Elementary, and uh, they have more than enough coats to get them through the winter. So thank you for everyone who participated in that. And hopefully today you will take one of those boxes uh, to uh, get a gift for a fifth, uh, fifth grade boy or girl as uh, the holiday season comes around. We wanted to try this. I know some of you are thinking, well, why don't we get gifts for all the kids? And we would love to do that, except there's about 400 of them. And uh, we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. So this project, the Magi project, is sort of a beta test to see how it goes. Northside has never failed to disappoint. When we put a challenge out there, uh, the boxes or the backpacks or the coats or whatever have gone pretty quickly. And if you can be a part of that, uh, certainly we would encourage you to do so and contact the Nashes if you have any Questions. Today, we finish up our series that we've been calling Overflow. Uh, Overflow is simply a textual study of a few verses, uh, but powerful verses, where Peter uh, talks about his life and reminds us of our lives. Second uh, Peter probably being the last letter that he wrote to the church and very likely occurring before his own death. And this whole set of scriptures has really been a, 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 not a, a list, more about a lifestyle of grace and how when you respond to God's grace, it, it's not just something that you receive. It's something that flows then out of you. There was a husband and wife who communicated via text message quite often, and uh, the wife had done some shopping and she had bought a new dress 
And she wasn't quite sure if the dress fit exactly the way it should. So she took a picture of herself standing in front of the mirror wearing the dress. The husband received uh, the picture followed by a question. Uh, a question which some of you husbands have perhaps received. And the question was this, does this dress make me look fat? The husband knew this was a precarious moment. He needed to use his words carefully. And so he wrote, no, in caps. And he thought he better just emphasize that. And he wrote, no, and oh, 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 oh. And he sent it. Unfortunately, auto-corrected it to moo. Oh. I tell that silly joke to emphasize a point. Is certainly in our world, it is easy to miscommunicate. And what we're talking about today can be easily miscommunicated or misconstrued, and I don't want you to do that. Uh, I want you to tell you about Peter's life, but I don't want to tell you about the Peter that wrote Second Peter. I want to tell you about the Peter at his lowest Point. You see, he had followed Jesus for three years. Jesus has transformed him. He's a different guy than he was when he was called by the, 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 out of the boat uh, just three years ago. Could it have been just three years ago? And yet in the moment when Jesus most needed him, Peter failed. Peter messed up, uh, in a, in a, in a way that he couldn't get past. No doubt, at that moment, Peter was feeling pretty low. And can you imagine what it must have been like to have walked and to serve with Jesus for three years? To have seen people transformed by the miracles and to watch the Pharisees and the Sadducees be wowed by the teachings. To, to latch on to this man, to hitch your wagon to his star and think, man, you are going places. This guy would be the next king. And, and then he starts talking about, you know, uh, things aren't going to go as exactly as you might expect here in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over and he's going to be crucified and killed. And Peter, in a, in a state of bold, brash, almost hubris, says, Never, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And it did. And Peter would later say, Lord, even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall. I'll be the one standing right by your side. But when he remembered that day, he didn't remember the things that he said to Jesus. He only remembered the things he said about Jesus. It was his low point. He, he denied knowing him. He denied having been a part of their ministry. He denied following him. He denied his teacher he denied his Lord. He denied his friend. I don't know if you've ever, maybe you felt low like Peter felt. Maybe you've done something that you're so ashamed of that you're just, it just breaks your heart. You wince in pain, re recalling 
something that you've done. You wish you could take those words back. You, you hope that you, you wish there's some way to undo the things which you did. But you can't. They're done. They're in the past. They are written. And, and you just hope that God gives you mercy and grace when it's your time to meet him. And that's how Peter, I mean, that's where Peter was. He, he, he well, maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't exactly do it like Peter did. Maybe it wasn't a a, a verbalization of denying knowing him. But maybe perhaps given the opportunity to speak up for the Lord and for the Lord's ways, you chose to remain silent. Maybe instead of of being a light for him and letting his light shine through you, you chose to remain in the shadows. Maybe instead of standing up for Christ, you chose to remain seated. It, it, it was a, a denial that was far softer, but no less real than what Peter did. Given the moment, the opportunity to stand up, to speak up, to show up, you missed it. Peter really struggled with this. Uh, you know he played that moment again and again and again in his mind because he couldn't live it down. It was a part now of who he was and who he would be known for. Certainly among the disciples. Did you hear about Peter? He denied three times. His sin, his sin of omission, his sin of commission, he he now owned. It was his identity. And it shouldn't have been. He didn't want it to be. But it was. I imagine the apostle known for speaking up, was ominously silent in the days following Jesus' death. If you've been in Peter's place, if you've done something you can't undo, if you said something you can't unsay, if you wish to God that you could go back and redo that moment and you realize that you can't, I want to ask you how you recover. How you get past, how you move forward. The answer is with Peter. Gracefully, John records the rest of the story. And I want you to turn, not to Peter, but to John. John chapter 21. And he records this beautiful, poignant moment, not just for the record. I have no doubt it was also for Peter and even more It was for us. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Now, there's a lot of sermons here. There's probably a series of sermons here. I'm not going to make all of the points that you want me to make. I just want to focus in on one part. But if you're following along in your Bibles, and I hope that you are, we're starting in verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time. 
How would you like it if Jesus brought up your sin in good company? And he asked you about it, not once, not twice, but three times. I think there's a reason Jesus did that. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, you know, above all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, as I said, there's a whole lot of sermons about the different words Jesus uses for love and and the meaning of it and the three times in reverse for the three times that Peter denied him and all of that. I, I just I just want to focus on the scene for just a moment. Imagine it. By the water's edge near an empty boat, much like the place and time where Jesus first met Peter. Imagine it's next to a fire uh, that Jesus is using to cook fish for breakfast near a fire, much like the fire where Jesus last saw Peter. John records that he denied Jesus and then he warmed himself because it was cold. And I don't think John was talking about the temperature. I think it was a cold, flat denial. I don't know. In this passage, Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter by asking one question to Peter in three different ways. Jesus asked the big question, do you love me? Do you love me as a brother? Do you love me as family? Do you love me as God loves me, as God loves you? Surely, surely Peter agonized over this thought. Of course, of course I love you. I I know that I love you. And it's kept me awake night after night since that, oh, dreadful night. When I denied knowing my friend and my teacher and my Savior and my Lord to a servant girl. Maybe to spare my own skin, maybe just to, to, to get me through, maybe just make any excuse I want. But I... I know that I love you, but why did I do something so unloving? In three moments, Peter destructed what Jesus had constructed in three years. In in three flat denials, he had let go of or seemed to have let go of what Jesus had called him to. Despite his inability to explain himself or or fully defend his actions, this one thing Peter knew. I love Jesus. You ever been there? I mean, do do you do you, you wrestle with that? Do you, do you love Jesus with all your heart, but sometimes you do things which are very un-Jesus-like? That you treat people in a way that's unchristlike and that, that reflects no love for the Messiah at all. And you, and you sit down and you go, where did that come from? 
Why did I do that? I know I love him. But sometimes I just don't act like it. Then, then after Peter's answer, Jesus replies. Peter says, of course I love you. And Jesus effectively says, show me. Prove it. And he uses the phrase, feed my lambs. If you love me, take care of the sheep. If you love me, protect them, bring them home, guide them, love them as I love you, Peter. Peter, people are messy, as you well know. People make mistakes, as you well know. You, Peter, have to love them like I love you. I know you love me. And what I need you to do is to let them know that I love them. Don't give up on them. Peter, I didn't give up on you. Uh, don't get tired and don't get impatient with them. Peter, be gentle and, and teach them and lead them as I have led you. And because Jesus loved Peter like that, he asked Peter to love the sheep like that. He asked the, he asked Peter to love the sheep just like the good shepherd. To let that kind of love overflow, pour out, be reflected in Peter's heart and in his hands and in his life. So Peter did. He spent the rest of his life feeding and tending to the sheep. And that's not an easy job. There are times when that is very, very tough. But Peter didn't give up on them because Jesus didn't give up on him. He loved the sheep because the shepherd loved the sheep. So understanding Peter's now new mission, we jump from John chapter 21 back over to 1 Peter. Uh, Peter's final instructions to us, are multi, um, there are a multitude of them. I want to focus on this final idea of love. 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope you'll turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So think about this for just a minute. The first thing Peter draws us to is faith. And he said that faith has got to be motivated by love. And think about what, what I highlighted here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Question for you. I know we're not good with polls, but I'm going to try it anyway. How many of you in here in here by show of hands would say that you love Jesus? This would be a time to raise your hand. Now, I'm looking for those with anybody not hands up because you're in the wrong place. OK. All right. Steve. Now. OK. So the <laughs> the point is that, of course, a people of church, of Christians, Christ followers would raise their hands in, in affirming that. Belief, but did you ever consider this is very strange that every week about 650, 700 folks gather together and pro profess love and praise and glory and honor to one we have never seen. That's faith. 
Faith is believing that he exists even though we cannot see him. And more than that, it's motivated by love. We have not seen him, but we not only believe that he exists, but we love him. And we love him because of how he has shown his love to us. Our faith has got to be motivated by love. Otherwise, it will really not be faith. Uh, turn next to First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, here's the second thing. Love maintains unity. This is an even stranger idea to me. In a group of this size, a family the size of Northside, that we can be unified in faith and love. That's not an easy thing to do. I did not say, by the way, we were all alike. I said we were unified. Each week we come together and we share a common union. That is Christ and our love for him. Without that love, Jesus could not have brought together tax collectors and zealots. Jesus could not have brought together the greatest generation and the millennials. Without that love, a church is just a collection of people. And when you begin to see a church divide up and to take sides into us versus them and this click versus that click and this. Oh, let me talk about clicks clicks for just a second. Oh, my goodness. Please, I pray sincerely that you be a youth group that is one. That when you when you do things together, official or unofficial, that you never, ever tell someone you, you, you are not welcome to our thing. This is just for a select few. I guess that's not how God's people treat one another. We together are to be one. Now, you're going to, in a few years, go off to colleges, and, and, and maybe those colleges will have some sort of cliques. They call them sororities and fraternities. But God's people aren't to be that way. God's people are to be to one. One for all and, and all for one. And that's what makes a youth group work. What makes a youth group at Northside great is not its size. What makes it great is its unity and its love for each other. I want to challenge you to ask each other a hard question next time. I don't know when your next Devo is or whatever. I want to ask you to get in a big circle and ask each person and ask this question. Do you feel like I'm a part of this group, that I'm accepted, that I'm involved, that I'm connected? And answer honestly the question. Because that's a good thing for youth groups to do, to make sure everybody's a part of the one. Youth groups don't behave as cliques. That's not the way we are. That's not the way churches are to be either. Now, I realize we have different groups. We've got the focus group. We've got the good timers. We've got the alive class. We've got the Bible boomers. We've got all of these uh, groups that are a subset. The, the, those things naturally occur. But any time we get to a, a feeling of superiority like this group is better than that group, this group is closer to God than that group, this group matters more than this group, that's a problem. It's a problem of unity, but at its core, it's a problem of a lack of love. 
So it's not just for the youth group, it's for the whole church. Now, I'm admonishing you, but the church at Northside does pretty good with that. Uh, This is preventative maintenance, you understand. Uh, It's just a heart check to make sure that we stay as one. Because that's what Jesus wanted us to do. Now the last one, quickly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, I'm sorry, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I do not know how the good folks at Celebrate Recovery do what they do. They walk with people through hard things. Uh, they, they, they have to be committed to walking with people who are hurting. And it's not just a one and done type deal. It's a you have to love these people enough to walk with these people. And you have to be motivated by the same love that someone had for you through Jesus Christ. And you have to have that same kind of love. We have to do that in the church. There is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. Love is the common thread that pulls all the threads together in a beautiful tapestry of God. Love is what drives unity. It's what drives, motivates faith. And it is why we show mercy and grace to one another. Peter reminds us of his mission and our mission to love each other. That's easy to say. It's not really that hard to preach. We even sing it pretty well. I mean, Ryan had a lot of songs about love, but love is an action and it is inconvenient and it is hard to do and it requires patience and it's difficult. But Paul said it's the most important thing. It's not what you say. It's not what you sing. It's what you show in love that matters. Now, I know he's not Peter, but Paul said it this way, and and we need to jump right into it. The scriptures read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have All knowledge. And if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have to the poor and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, love is the highest command. It is the defining mark of every disciple. People will not know that you're a Christian by where you are for a couple of hours a week. People will know you're a Christian by how you love one another. And it's so important that Jesus said you can be a good church. You can do good things. You can have great preaching. You can have powerful teaching. But if you have not love, you might as well just close up shop. You can do a lot of good things. You can buy sacks and sacks and sacks full of food, mounds of toilet paper and and paper towels. You can fill up pantries all day long. But if you have not love, you're missing the point. You can buy coats, mountains and mountains of coats. But if you have not love, you've kept no one warm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that that Peter is saying to us, love is why Jesus lived. 
Love is why Jesus died. And love is what keeps us going together. May we not forget it. Without love, life in Jesus isn't really life at all. Think about it. Look at the list. The entire list we've been studying for the past eight or nine weeks. You take love out of that. All it is is a a bunch of legalistic uh, attributes of of things that we should try harder at. The, The most important one, the last, is certainly not the least. When we love, it shows itself in our faith, in our goodness, in our knowledge, in our self-control, in our perseverance, in our godliness, and in our mutual affection. May this list be rooted in love. Love is not last, but uh, love is last in this list, but it's certainly not the least. If you truly love Jesus then you've got to love like Jesus. If you truly love like Jesus, now, now when you love Christ, you want to mature and you want to grow in Christ. Um, I don't know where Tyler is. Tyler, can you grab that chair for me? Um, we have to be careful when we talk about all of these qualities, the list, that, that we understand that what we do, how we respond, how we live is not to earn his love, but as a response to his love. Thank you, Ty. There is a a well-known show where performers perform, and there are judges, and they sit in these giant red chairs. I didn't have a giant red one, so forgive me. And, And initially, when they're performing, all they see is this. They just see the back of the judges chair and if they wow the judge enough they'll hit the button and turn around and some people mistakenly believe that that's what jesus is like that if i just do all this list if i just do all these things if i just try a little harder he'll swing the chair around and look at me and love me finally for what i've done Jesus is not that way. His love for you is not back and forth, back and forth. When you sin, his back's turned towards you. Oh, how you've disappointed me now. And then when you do enough good things and when you go to church enough times, he'll just gradually swing back around because now he loves you. But oh, you mess up one time and oh, he's back around. And now you're just looking at the back of him again. Some people believe in a Jesus swivel chair theology. And you need to know, and I need to warn you, that Jesus' love is as consistent as the sunrise. He's never loved you any more or any less than he does right now. Before you knew him, when you knew him, when you were baptized, when you messed up, Jesus loves you. His chair never moves. You and I? Oh, it's a different story. You and I got to earn it, right? We got to work for it. We got to make people love us. We got to be in their good graces. We shouldn't be that way. But I just want you to understand that our, our love, what we do for Jesus, is not to earn him turning and facing us. It is a response to how he loves us. May we not forget 
that Jesus loves us. And so let his love overflow through us and may we respond appropriately. When we truly love, it shows. It shows by how we act. It shows by how we treat one another. Uh, But don't take my word for it. Just watch Luther. cup of tea I ever had in my life. I want to go up there to see my wife. Luther does not have to tell you he loves his wife. It is plainly evident for all to see. At 99 years old, he walks six miles every day, no matter the weather, to see his wife in the hospital, the best cup of tea in his life. He shows that. It's evident. We can see it plainly. There is no doubting Luther's love. We see it by his dedication, by his faithfulness, by his commitment, by how he treats her. May our love for Jesus be the same. May we respond out of what his great love has done for us. And may we never be the same because of it. Jesus loves you more than you'll be ever, ever be able to fathom or understand. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. So may you then respond this morning, not out of earning his love, but out of all the love he's shown for you. 
If you have not been living as Jesus called you to live, if you've not been doing what Jesus called you to do, if you are not in Christ, if you've not responded to Christ, you can do that this morning. You can do that today. You can do that this whole week. You can begin your journey in Christ through baptism and you can continue in that journey. And, and, and the world, may it know your love for Jesus by your sacrifice, your dedication, and your commitment to each other. What I want us to know this morning is, do you love him? And Jesus would say, if you do, then respond, then feed, then, then do, then respond to my love as I have loved you. If you love me, Jesus said, you obey what I've commanded to do. This morning, if you need to respond in love, if your heart's been cold and you haven't been living as you ought to, or if you're ready to begin that journey with Jesus, you can begin today. Uh, And if as a Christian, your love for Christ has not been reflected, I would encourage you to begin. And if we can pray with you to help you and guide you in any such a way, please come. Meet one of our shepherds down front as together we sing.